Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. It'll fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, if you did join us for the first time, hey, we are in Daniel chapter 2 today. We just started a study in the book of Daniel, and I highly encourage you to go back and listen or watch the teaching on Daniel chapter 1 when you get through with this one right here. They do tend to build on each other a little bit, especially in the first six chapters. What we're going to cover today certainly builds up on what happens to uh, Daniel and his friends in chapter 3 that we'll get to next week. Uh, But in Daniel chapter 1, we learned how when cultures Culture shifts. It'll try to rename, tame, and claim you as its own. But Daniel and his friends, they stood firm, and they knew who they were, and God rewarded their faithfulness and obedience. In fact, they became ten times better than the other advisors in the king's service. And we learned that anything God offers is always ten times better than what the culture offers. So Daniel and his friends are some of the the best advisors that King Nebuchadnezzar has in all Babylon. But that's about to get tested in a pretty big way here in chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, which just terrifies him. And so he does what every king who's troubled does. He calls in all of his advisors to interpret the dream that he had. Now, Babylonian advisors were diviners. In the ancient world, diviners used animal livers and astrology and dreams to predict the future and determine the course of the events as the gods willed it. And that creates a problem, though, in the story with Nebuchadnezzar, because for reasons unknown, Nebuchadnezzar does not reveal the dream he had to his advisors, but he demands they interpret the dream anyway for him. They can't interpret a dream without having the dream being told to them. This is beyond their capability. So remember, you know, they read the stars and animal organs for signs of divine will. They don't actually read it for revelation per se. And this is where I want us to pick up in Daniel chapter 2 today, starting in verse number 10. The astrologers replied to the king, No one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you what your dream means, and they don't live among people. Look at verse 12. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. How do you react when you receive unexpected and terrible news? You know, often our first impulse is to panic, at least a little little bit, isn't it? You know, anxiety kind of takes over, hearts beat faster, our palms get sweaty, we imagine just the worst case scenario. Uh, Maybe we can give into a sense of self-pity that we might have. You know, no one likes to be told something's terrible happening to them, especially when it's, you know, beyond their control. And you might think that Daniel would react as we do sometimes in those situations, but he has a surprising response to this unfortunate news. Look at his response in verse number 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Now, I don't know if it's fair to say that Daniel wasn't nervous or shocked by the news. I mean, you know, he's human after all, so I'm sure he was to a certain degree. But what he doesn't do is panic. He doesn't throw a self 
pity party. He doesn't blame other people for their failure and how it affects him. He handles the situation with wisdom and discretion. So in other words, you know, he took the matter seriously and handled it with care. You know, remember his life and the lives of his friends and other advisors, they're all at stake here. So the first thing he does is he goes to the king to ask for more time. And then he gets with his friends and they begin to pray and ask God for revelation. Pick it up in verse number 19. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Verse 22, he reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he's surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength, and you have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. A little bit of a parallel here in this story between Daniel and I have another person whom God uses to interpret dreams. In the book of Genesis, we read about Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has a dream which troubles him. Nobody can tell him what the dream means except for a Jewish prisoner named Joseph. So Pharaoh awards Joseph by giving him, you know, rule over all of Egypt except for himself. We're going to see something similar kind of play out here in the story with Daniel. And so just like Joseph, you know, Daniel can't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream on his own power. And therein, by the way, lies a stark contrast between Daniel and the other advisors in the king's court. While they're relying on learned wisdom they've obtained through lessons and training, Daniel, you know, mind you, had that training too, but Daniel's relying on something more. He's going to go further. He's relying on the wisdom itself. And, and what we're going to see today is that wisdom is not actually intelligence. It's not something you learn or obtain. Wisdom is divine, and it's only accessible with a relationship to that divinity, which is God himself. Before we go further into the story, I do want to stop for a moment because there's, there's, there's two truths I want you to see in Daniel's prayer of thanks he offers to God for this revelation that takes place. The first one is this, that God is powerful. God's powerful. Verse number 21, uh, Daniel states that it's God who controls the course of world events. He sets up kings and systems of governments. He gives wisdom and knowledge. This underscores, by the way, a theme found all throughout the book of Daniel. In fact, we're going to see this over and over stated in different ways. And I think it's something you and I need to remember today just as much as Daniel and his friends needed to remember it in his day. That despite all the power seeming to belong to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, God was still in control. And so no matter what you're facing today, no matter what springs your way tomorrow, God is in complete control. He holds all the power. The second truth is this, that God is wise. So Daniel remarks in verse 22 that it's God who reveals the deep and mysterious things. Daniel understood that real wisdom is derived from God. So humanity's attempt to obtain wisdom, it always falls short. In fact, Daniel chapter 2 
is really more about the wisdom of God than it is about the dream and its prophecy, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. But when we think of the wisdom, we certainly don't think of Daniel chapter 2. Typically, the first book of the Bible many folks think about is, is Proverbs. So we tend to treat Proverbs as like the self-help guide. If we follow the wise sayings, you will live good lives, we'll find success, won't that be great? But it's so much more than that. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that the, that perspective really misses the point entirely. Because the first nine chapters of Proverbs actually takes you as the reader on a journey to make a decision between wisdom and folly. Which one are you going to choose? And in this context, in Proverbs, wisdom is a personification of God. Folly is the enemy. And that's why that famous proverb that fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, Proverbs 1-7, you know, that's why that rings so true. Now here's what this means regarding wisdom. If wisdom comes from God, if it truly is a, a personification, right, in Proverbs, then wisdom is the result of a relationship with God. You can't attain it through lessons and learned experiences. You attain wisdom through the enjoyment of a relationship with God himself. Now notice the advisors, they're, they're freaking out in the story that, we, that we're in right now. They, they don't know what to do. All their knowledge, all their training, all their books, the lessons, it cannot produce what they need. But Daniel and his friends engage with God through prayer. And it's that prayer and relationship with God which provides the answer that they need. And that's the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its meaning. Look at verse 27 as Daniel gives the dream. Daniel replied, there are no wise men, no enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. And now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay in your bed. I'm going to skip down to verse 31, but notice Daniel gives credit and glory to God first before getting into the dream. He doesn't want to make any, any mistake there. It all comes from God. Verse 31, in your vision, he says, your majesty you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight, and the head of the statue was made of gold, and its chest and arms were silver, and its belly and thighs were bronze, and it was a combination on its feet of iron and Bates clay. And as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. That's important. It struck the feet of the clay, it smashed them to bits, and the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron and clay and bronze, silver and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on our threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Now he's going to interpret the dream, verse 36. That was the dream. Let me tell you what the king, uh, let me tell the king what it means, he says. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty and power and strength and honor, and he's made you the ruler of all the inhabited world. He's put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. Don't you think Nebuchadnezzar felt pretty good to hear that? He's the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, there's another kingdom inferior to yours that will rise to take your place. And after that kingdom's fallen, a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. And following that kingdom, there'll be a fourth one, and as strong as iron. And that kingdom will smash and crush all the previous empires as iron smashes and crushes 
everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. It'll have some of the strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. And this mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. It's pretty common back then. But they will not hold together. And just as iron and clay do not mix. Look at verse 44. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. And that is the meaning of the rock cut out from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold. And the great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Now, as interesting as this dream and its interpretation might be, we're not going to get into you know, very far anyway what Daniel was describing. And that's because when we get to Daniel chapter 7, we're going to have to come back and revisit this dream and really get into what, what it was about. But for now, I'm going to leave you with this. There, there's, there's two similar but competing views on, on who these kingdoms were. Um, but scholars and theologians feel fairly certain in, in the statue we're describing the succession of empires that happened between Babylon and the time of Christ, okay? Now, the interpretation of the specific kingdoms in this chapter isn't meant to be precise because the primary focus is not actually the prophecy. It's actually on the two truths we discussed earlier, that God is both all-powerful and in control, and He's wisdom itself. And if anything, the statue shows the depravity of humanity. I can't think you know, uh, uh, of a better illustration. Like as we advance in our world of technology and medicine, we kind of devolve as humans, right? With each progression, I think we're weaker. Our values, our principles, ethics, they all get weaker the more we progress. Kind of how the statue is built, you know, it starts with gold and then it ends up with clay in the bottom. And so we've seen that, that God is all powerful. We've seen God is all wise, and now thanks to Daniel's interpretation of the dream, we see in verse 44 that God's kingdom, it's eternal, right? It lasts forever. In fact, the most crucial element to the dream is the rock that's not cut by human hands. It's representative of God's kingdom. And Daniel's message here is a very important one, especially if you're a Jewish person living in exile in his day. I mean, their story's not over, right? Like God's in control, and he's going to defeat all the oppressing forces in their world. He alone sets up his kingdom, and if you pay attention to Daniel's words, he mentions the establishment happens during the reigns of these kings. When Jesus comes and completes his mission and rises from the dead, the kingdom of God itself comes, and it's a kingdom which cannot and will not ever end. It's not difficult, or I'm sorry, it's difficult not to think of Psalm 118.22 when you hear about the rock, right? You know, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, as that, that verse goes. Um, let me take it to Luke 20 for a moment, because in this Luke 20 is a story that Jesus tells about vineyard um, workers. In fact, there's a vineyard owner whose servants are, are badly mistreated at first by the vineyard workers. And so later he, he sends more and they kill those uh, servants. And finally he sends his son, thinking they'll respect him, but they don't, and they kill him too. So, <coughs> excuse me. So the owner comes and kills the workers and then gives the vineyard to other people. It's a story which illustrates in brief 
the history of the Jewish people. At first, they mistreat God's prophets. Later, they kill God's prophets. Finally, they kill Jesus himself. And it's in this story that, you know, Jesus quotes Psalm 118.22 about, you know, the capstone. But then he moves directly to an association with Daniel chapter 2. Look at Luke 20, verse 18. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone that it falls on. You know what Jesus is doing? He's making a reference to the powerful rise and endless reign of God's kingdom. Nothing can stop it. Every force in human history has tried to curtail it, to prevent it, to kill it. But God's kingdom, it still persists and it still grows. Long after Babylon and the empires after fell, God's kingdom still reigns and will continue to reign. Three truths to remember today that God is powerful. Your circumstances, they, they may seem overwhelming. It may seem like, you know, a person or a system or the government has all the power. But no matter what you do, you're in a no-win situation. But God is the one who's in complete control. No person is, is, is set in a position of authority without God having ordained it. No nation or system has power and influence without God's permission. And as quickly as God gives it, He'll take it away because He has a plan and He's executing that plan that will ultimately lead to His establishment of a real physical, by the way, kingdom that has no end. The chapter ends with Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging God's power behind Daniel's interpretation. That's going to set up what happens next in Daniel chapter 3. And that's because Daniel accepts the king's promotion. He appoints his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to a position of authority where they oversee all the affairs of the capital and the province of Babylon. Remember that for next week when we get there. We're going to have to actually take chapter 3 and split it into two to really cover everything we need to cover. Remember, though, that God is wise. And, and, and rather, he's wisdom, I guess, right? And if you want real wisdom, you need to know God. And as we progress, you know, life doesn't really get more simple. Technology, the rise of AI, it does simplify tasks, but it also opens up new ethical and spiritual questions we've never had to consider before. Culture looks at this progression and concludes that, you know, intellect must hold all the answers, because after all, wisdom in our culture's worldview is rooted in knowledge and intellect. But intelligence is not wisdom. Rather, it's the application of acquired information. So it's confused often for wisdom, but how often have you heard things like, well, my boss knows his stuff, but he can't relate to his employees, or my teacher's really smart, but she can't communicate effectively. And that's because wisdom is not obtained through intellect. It's divinely given ability to have insight as to the best way to live life, and that way is God's way. We gain wisdom by living in relationship with Christ and communicating with Him through prayer and God's Word. And the result is a mindset that's produced in which we see the world through the perspective of Christ as we become more like Him. Finally, remember this, that God's kingdom, it's eternal. What you're a part of as a follower of Christ doesn't shift and change with public opinion or progress. It outlasts every ideology, every system, every institution. The kingdom Christians are a part of it lasts forever. And the promises which come uh, for being a citizen of that kingdom, well, they last forever too. Daniel and his friends, they knew that whatever happened in this world, under that king, that empire, it was just temporary. It was only for a moment. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had only further illustrated the fact that the power of God's timeless and eternal kingdom would reign supreme. So perhaps today you're watching or listening and you realize, you know what, you need wisdom today. You've been looking for it in all the wrong places. But today, you want to know God and know true wisdom. Maybe you needed that reminder 
about the sovereignty of God's power. Your situation might feel helpless. You might be worried about what tomorrow brings, but God, He's in complete control. He knows what's going to happen just over the horizon and well into the future. And He's got this. And He's got you. You just need assurance. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Wherever you're watching or listening from, that assurance will be yours today. So Father, I thank you for each person watching and listening right now. Lord, I pray for those who would say, I, I need wisdom in my life. Lord, I pray they would search for wisdom by getting to know who you are. God, may they give their lives to you. May they serve you. May they wholeheartedly seek your face. Lord, as they, as they communicate through prayer, as they communicate through your word, God, as they surrender their hearts and lives over to you on a daily basis, Lord, may they grow in the wisdom that you can bring, that you can give. Help them to live the best way possible, which is your way in everyday life and all that they do. And I pray the wisdom that you grant them, just like with Daniel, would astonish people around them. That, Lord, they can see that that wisdom is not something that, that they learn on their own or attain, but that wisdom has been given from a relationship with you. God, for those who are worried about a whole host of issues, things out of their control, people, systems, governments, whatever it might be, Lord, remind them, assure them, you hold the power. You hold the power. You're in control. That God, your sovereignty is at work. Nothing happens without your knowledge. Nothing happens without your permission, without you allowing it. Everything is leading up to a day and age where your kingdom will be established forever. And I pray, Lord, that that assurance that you're in control, that all power belongs to you, would it bring peace, would it bring a sense of calm to those individuals today who might be struggling with some real anxiety issues in their lives. And we pray, Lord, that they would be encouraged. You're in control. It's you got it, and you got them. Thank you for who you are, for your goodness and grace. Thank you for Daniel and his friends and the stories we can learn from about you being wisdom, about you having power, about your kingdom lasting forever. Brothers, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.